Good morning. This sermon is for June 28th, 2020. I'm pre-recording because, again, we hope to have outdoor worship, and it would be impossible to get a quality recording. The text for this morning's sermon comes from Matthew's Gospel, the 10th chapter, beginning with the 40th verse. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Join me in prayer. Father, my prayer this morning is a simple one that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. This passage seems to focus on rewards, and I I don't think that's the crux of this message. So let's handle that quickly. A, A prophet is somebody who brings the word of God to the people. In some way, I, as the preacher, have a prophetic role. It's my job to read scripture and to prepare a message that I believe addresses the needs, the hearts, and the times of our congregation. Now, I want you to think about this because it says if you entertain a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. Well, if you look back in the Old Testament, the prophets did not really get rewards They were killed, they were stoned, they were mocked, they were ridiculed, they were thrown into empty wells, they were locked in prison. I believe Jesus is talking about the prophet's heavenly reward. Again, it says if you entertain a righteous person, a person who lives rightly, follows the law of God, you will receive a righteous person's reward. Well, you know as well as I do that People who live rightly are often judged by the people around them. They're thought to be snotty or snooty or who do they think they are, we might say. And they're persecuted and ridiculed for the good choices they make. And then Jesus says, if anyone gives a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, he will receive a disciple's reward. Now, I want you to think about water for a second. We have tap water, filtered water, sparkling water, well water, mineral and which water. Water is as common to us almost as air. You can buy a bottle of water for as little as 25 cents or as much as $5. But water in the Bible was a precious commodity. Remember, Palestine and the Bible area surrounding is a desert. Yes, there was the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River flowed down to the Dead Sea. But apart from that, there were not a lot of springs and rivers and wells. Wells had to be dug and they had to be protected. If you remember... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had conflicts over the wells that they had dug. If you remember Israel in the desert between Egypt and the promised land, mutinied, and they said they would rather go back to Egypt 
than die of thirst in the desert. And you remember, Moses struck the rock. And later on, he was told to speak to the rock, and he struck the rock again. And Hebrew tradition says that that rock that flowed with water actually followed the Hebrews through the desert. That's not in scripture, that's in Hebrew tradition. But God cared for his people by providing them with water. You remember that Jesus was sitting at the well in Samaria and his disciples had gone to town to purchase food and the woman at the well came during the heat of the day. Now, what did that mean? That meant that she had a large clay jug often carried on her head and that usually the women in Jesus' time would make two trips a day in the cool of the day, one early in the morning and one at dusk at night. It was mainly the woman's responsibility to get the water and think about this. We need water every day, so there were no days off. The the woman of the family couldn't say, well, I'm tired today, I'm not going to get the water. And think about this, sometimes the well was outside of town. The women in Jesus' day could walk as much as two miles each way just to get water for their family. Water was a precious commodity. It was life-giving, it was costly, and it was precious. It was not something that you would willingly give away. Now, I want you to think about this too. Hospitality in the Bible was important because the Hebrews had never had their own land up until God cleared Canaan for them. Joshua and the Battle of Jericho and that that whole book. Up until then, they had been wanderers. And God said to the people of Israel, as much as you have wandered and experienced hospitality or a lack thereof from the nations around you, I want you to be hospitable to the people that visit you, to the stranger in your town. So hospitality in the Bible was a religious duty. It was an expectation. You, you not only were, had the duty to be hospi- hospitable, but it was an expectation. And to be inhospitable was a sin of the greatest proportion. Think about Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats. He challenged his disciples. Did you give somebody water? Did you feed them when they were hungry? Did you visit them when they were sick and in prison? Did you care for my people, for the stranger? (laughs) Now, we've all heard the famous quote by Benjamin Franklin that guests are like fish. They begin to smell after three days. We don't want somebody usually invading our private space for too long of a time. In fact, psychologists can measure your amount of willingness to be hospitable or not. There's a test called the FIRO-B, and one of the things it's measured is inclusion. Do you want people to include you, and do you want to include the people around you? Do you want to invite them to your house? And it's a zero to a nine scale. Expressed means come and visit, and wanted. Ooh, I come and visit you. 
Jesus says, regardless of what your score is on the Phyro B, you have to be hospitable. Now, hospitality and entertaining are different. And I want you to hear this. Hospitality and entertaining are different. In her book, Open Heart, Open Home, Karen Maines makes these distinctions. Entertaining says, I want to impress you with my home, my clever decorating, and my cooking. Hospitality, seeking to minister, says, This home is a gift from God, and I use it as he desires. Hospitality, hospitality aims to serve. Entertaining puts things before people. As soon as I get the house finished, the living room decorated, my house cleaning done, then I will start inviting people. Hospitality puts people first. No furniture? We'll eat on the floor. The decorating may never get done. You come anyway. The house is a mess, but you are friends. Come home with us. Entertaining subtly declares, this home is mine, an expression of my personality. Look, please, and admire. Hospitality whispers, what's mine is yours. There's a story told of a young seminarian who was driving to church and he saw a hitchhiker. He picked up the hitchhiker and the hitchhiker noticed that he was in a suit and he said, oh, are you going to church? And the seminarian said, yes. He said, can I come with you? And the seminarian said, of course you can. And the stranger came to church and afterward was invited over to one of the members' homes for lunch and fellowship. While there, he received a hot bath, some clean clothes, and a hot meal. In a conversation with the youth, his host found that he was a Christian, but he had been out of fellowship with the Lord. His home was in another state, and he was just passing through on his way back. Later in the evening, they bought him a ticket and sent him on his way. A week later, the seminary student received a letter from the hitchhiker. Enclosed with the letter was a newspaper clipping with the headline reading, Man Turns Himself In for Murder. This young man had killed a teenage boy in an attempted robbery and had been running away from the law for some time. But the kindness and hospitality of Christians had convicted him he wanted to be in fellowship with God, and he knew that he needed to do the right thing about his crime. Little did those Christians know that by their faithfulness to show hospitality, they influenced a man to do what was right in God's eyes and thereby restore him to the fellowship with his Lord. Hospitality aims to serve Entertaining aims to impress. Hospitality puts people first. Entertaining says, look what I've accomplished. Hospitality is sacrificial. We share God's blessing. Entertaining says, I let you in. Now, I had the opportunity to visit a church when I was in Arizona a few years back called Christ Church of the Valley. It's a rather a large church. In fact, now they have 10 congregations, 10 campuses, they call it. And when you 
when you get to the church, you're, the first thing you notice is that all the parking spots near the front door of the church are empty. See, the congregation makes a commitment to park away from the front door so that the visitors can always park closest. Now, you might not think much of that. Our parking lot is not that big, and the doors to the church are equally accessible pretty much wherever you park. But this is a large church, and they are in Arizona. And sometimes in Arizona, the heat of the day can get up above 120 degrees. And how thoughtful it is of them to leave those spaces out front open so that the visitors don't have to walk that far in that sweltering heat. Now, when you get out of your car at Christ Church of the Valley, the first thing you smell is barbecue. It's the strangest thing. As you're getting closer to the front door of the church, there's an overwhelming smell of burgers and dogs. And just outside the door of the church, there are several men under uh, a canopy with a huge barbecue grill cooking burgers and dogs. And there are greeters outside of the church before you even get inside. And they ask you, well, first they welcome you, and they say, what brings you here? And if you have a moment, can we tell you about our church? And before you even get into the church, there's another canopy, and they take you in and they tell you what their church is all about, and they ask you right there, before you even get into the church, if you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if that isn't enough, Whoever greets you outside then walks you into the church. We had told them we were visitors and that I was a pastor, so they felt no need to, to win us to Christ. We walked into the church, and the greeter stays with you and introduces you to passersby. Now, they, they do ask what town you live in. Do you live nearby the church? And if you did, they would introduce you to the leader of the home group in your town. And home groups are how they create instant spiritual growth opportunities and involve you in the church family. Hospitality. That's what Jesus is talking about, making people feel welcome in our church. Welcome enough that they will want to stay and hear the good news. Hear this. That cup of cold water, Jesus says, is going to cost you something. It's not checkbook evangelism where we write a check to pay for somebody else to do the work of the gospel. Jesus says, you need to do the work. You need to dip the cold water. It's going to cost you something. It's going to be sacrificial. You may have to give up something that's important to you. Jesus says that that cup of cold water needs to address a need. Sorry. <laughs> it's going to have to address a need. Giving a person who has already had a drink of water a cup of cold water means nothing. And we cannot look, we cannot expect our reward to happen now. It's a heavenly reward. 
God wants to be proud of us as his children. The child who is always looking for a handout because they did something right is not going to be doing something right when nobody is looking. What does this look like in real life? I want to finish with this story. Former televangelist Jim Baker speaks of the events that occurred immediately after his release from prison. This is what he writes. When I was transferred to my last prison, Franklin Graham said he wanted to help me out when I get out with a job, a house to live in, and a car. It was my fifth Christmas in prison. I thought it over and said, Franklin, you can't do this. It will hurt you. The Grahams don't need my baggage. He looked at me and he said, Jim, you are my friend in the past and you're my friend now. If anyone doesn't like it, I'm looking for a fight. So when I got out of prison, the Grahams sponsored me and paid for a house for me to live in and gave me a car to drive. The first Sunday out, Ruth Graham called the halfway house I was living in at the Salvation Army and asked permission for me to go to the Montreat Presbyterian Church with her that Sunday morning. When I got there, the pastor welcomed me and sat me with the Graham family. There were like two whole rows of them. I think every Graham aunt, uncle, and cousin was there. The organ began playing, and the place was full except for the seat next to me. Then the doors opened, and in walked Ruth Graham. She walked down that aisle and sat next to inmate 07407-058. I'd only been out of prison 48 hours, but she told the world that morning that Jim Baker was her friend. Afterwards, she had me up to their cabin for dinner, and when she asked me for some addresses, I pulled this envelope out of my pocket to look for them. In prison, you're not allowed to have a wallet, so you just carry an envelope. And she asked, don't you have a wallet? And I said, well, yeah, this is my wallet. After five years of brainwashing in prison, you think an envelope is a wallet. She walked into the other room and came back and said, here's one of Billy's wallets. He doesn't need it. You can have it. Today, my friend, you need to look for opportunities to be hospitable. Hospitable in the name of Jesus. It's going to cost you something. It might require a sacrifice. It needs to address a need. And there is no earthly reward. Your reward will come in heaven. Jesus wants to welcome you into his family. It has nothing to do with your worthiness. It has everything to do with his love for you. You just need to admit you need a savior, believe he died and rose for you, and confess Jesus as Lord. Or if you know Jesus as your Savior and you need to increase your hospitality as witness, then today would be a great day to start. And finally, if you would need prayer and support from our church, please feel free to contact us at the church's Facebook page, the church's phone number, or the email address. Friends, there are people out there who are thirsty, and we have the water.
Amen.